This podcast contains language and subject matter some may find offensive. Keep out of reach of children and the elderly. This is Canadian Spirit. So I met Dollarama the other day, Darcy. And I was getting some things to do some yard work with, right? Right. So I'm in line, I'm waiting for the ca- I'm waiting for the cashier to call me up. And people are looking at me with a great deal of both concern and suspicion. And then I start thinking to myself, why are these people looking at me? My paranoia is that it's turned up all the way to 11, right? And I realize what I'm holding. I have a pair of gloves, a shovel, garbage bags, and rope. Ah. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm standing there and I'm thinking to myself... Oh God! Oh God! These people think that quarantine has finally gotten to me. I, I'm. I. I they think I killed my family. <laughs> I got to do something. I got to do something. So I grab a bag of Cheetos because you know that makes me look real fucking normal. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna bury the bodies and then I need a snack. <laughs> then I'm on my way home and I've been listening to this audiobook. It's uh, it's from LibriVox. Free audiobooks and whatnot because uh, well, I'm cheap. And I'm listening to this one. It's very topical. It's a journal in the in a plague year, and I gotta say that uh, the the narrators that they choose for these books they're not the best. The guy who was reading this thing, I swear to God, he he was like, and then the the the, the carts full of the people were. It's, it's like motherfucker, put it down, put the book, put the microphone down. You need to go see the doctor, motherfucker. You got the plague. But enough about me. What have you been doing lately, Darcy? Well, things have been pretty slow here lately, Kelly. I've been doing a lot of yard work and, and clean up and had my voice over. For Did you use shovels and gloves and garbage bags and rope? All that good stuff. Excellent. Uh, other than the rope, probably not the rope, but garbage bags and gloves for sure. Well, chains also work. They do work, yeah, but I never thought of that. <laughs> uh, but well, aside from yard work, what, what have you been doing? Oh, I had my kids here for the past couple of weeks. They've been helping me around the house a lot. Um, last night I had a camp, uh, campfire. A campfire and roasted some marshmallows and some wieners and told a few ghost stories. So it was great. Well, that's awesome. That's, uh, that's actually a great way to segue into today's campfire tale. Time now for Kelly's Campfire Tale, where I put you, the listener, smack dab in the middle of a paranormal event with my mediocre storytelling ability. After a long and stressful journey, you find yourself stepping off the train, the mid-afternoon light shining down off the snowy peaks of the Rocky Mountains. Before you stands a magnificent sight, what seems to be, in your mind, a castle straight out of the Brothers Grimm, nestled away in this picturesque Canadian mountain range. The crisp spring air, tainted only slightly by the emissions of the diesel engine that you just departed, fills your nostrils as you breathe deep, your mind focused on only one thing, getting this well-deserved vacation underway. You enter the castle, which of course is your hotel of choice, and after checking in, you are being shown to your room. You settle in and start to relax, but the allure of basic cable television and the series of walls surrounding you just isn't doing it for you right now. You feel restless and some part of you wishes to explore this massive, luxurious building. You leave your room and begin wandering the halls, admiring both the elegance and the Gilded Age simplicity of the hotel's interior. 
but sightseeing was never really your thing. You're on vacation, after all. You meander your way to the hotel bar, which is suspiciously vacant, silent, and dimly lit. You make your way to the bar where you encounter the bartender, a man in his 40s with a receding hairline. His brilliant white shirt starkly contrasted by the sharp black of his suspenders that disappear under his black apron. You order a few drinks and chat with the man casually for an hour until he abruptly cuts you off, telling you that you need to go to bed now. What nerve! You know your drinking limit and you're far from inebriated. You begin to protest, but the bartender simply repeats himself. You open your mouth to protest once again, but the words catch in your throat. Sudden, jarring music pierces your ears. The instrument is as loud as it is unmistakable. It comes from a set of bagpipes. You wheel around to the source of the noise to tell the piper to knock it off. You have an argument to win with this bartender after all. What you see causes your blood to run cold. Standing against the wall is indeed a bagpiper. Kilt, sporin, and all. All that is except his head. The headless man stands there, playing the bagpipes in some form that defies explanation. You wheel around to the bar, pointing back at the horrific sight, babbling to the bartender, that isn't there. Even though seconds earlier he had been serving you drinks, there's no trace of him now. The bagpipes grow louder and you stand from your stool. Bolting from the bar and down the hall, you explode through a pair of glass doors. The sounds of the bagpipes quickly fade behind you and, replaced, and are replaced by a soft string quartet. You pant, cold sweat running down your forehead as you catch sight of no band but a single woman, dressed in a wedding gown, dancing by herself. You feel that you shouldn't, but you call out to the woman, asking her for help. Help from what? You don't exactly know. Are you losing your mind? Did the bartender spike your drink with something? Your mind races as the woman stops dancing and slowly turns around. You suddenly think, you shouldn't have asked for help. Her cold eyes express a terrible sadness, one that wrenches at your own heart. She stares at you and starts to wail as her entire form bursts into a inferno. Her shrieks reaching a fever pitch as you once again find yourself running as fast as your feet can carry you through the hallways that only moments before you had found so endearing. You scramble your way back to your room, sweating, shaking, and terrified. You fumble with your keys but manage to unlock the door, diving in and slamming it behind you, securing your place with the deadbolt. You pant raggedly, trying to catch your breath, your mind ablaze with the unexplained visions you've already borne witness to. You try to tell yourself that it's just your imagination. You just drank too much and started seeing things and it'll all be sorted out once you get to sleep. Shaken but satisfied with your reasoning, you try to turn in for the night. You turn the lights out and place your head softly upon your pillow. The feeling of safety, security, and comfort slowly start to wash over you until the sheets, covers, and pillows are ripped violently from their places. Your head drops onto the mattress as you, as your exposed skin suddenly feels like it's exposed to a freezing January night. The air of your room explodes with ear-splitting screams. The lights begin to flicker and the bright flashes of light that you see eliminate handprints and splotches of what only could be blood appearing all over the walls, the windows, and the mirrors. You flee from the rooms, the screaming in your ears, not just that of the supernatural, but of your own. You turn to the corner to the lobby where you come face to face with an older man with a graying beard. He is dressed in the standard uniform of a bellhop. 
He looks concerned and asks you, in a, in a thick Scottish brogue, what is troubling you. You babble out your tale from beginning to end, and the man smiles and laughs, apologizing for the mix-up. You should have never been booked into that room. You ask, what the hell is going on? He laughs, pats you on your shoulder, and calmly states, That room is the most haunted of them all, and trust me, this hotel is plenty haunted enough. You turn, open-mouthed at the bellhop, who smiles at you one last time before stepping back from you and disappearing like a mid-afternoon fog. Your wide and terrified eyes stare at where the friendly bellhop was standing. There is only a bronze plate sign in cursive font stating, Welcome to Banff Springs Hotel by Fairmont. So how was that, Darcy? It was really good. Very intriguing. You know what I think? I think the Wahila got the bagpiper. You think so? I think so. He's got no head. Well, what other explanation could it be? It fits it pretty, pretty good. Oh, unless, of course, he just he met with some kind of terrible bagpiping accident. Did bagpipes explode? Not to my knowledge. And I mean, if they did explode, would it take a person's head off? Or, I mean, would it take out their rib cage? Because that's technically where it's located, right? Yeah. So, I don't know why there's a, ba- why there's a headless bagpiper, but... Maybe we'll find out in this episode. I can't remember how much research I did. It's been a while. I'm professional. But with that, let's move on to the chronology segment. And uh, I will turn it over to you, Darcy. You can tell us a bit bit about the history of the area. Sounds good. We started our journey with the founding of the Banffs area. Founding back in 1883, the now 3-kilometer Townside started as an aside for a proposed Canadian Pacific Railway tunnel site that came to know as Siding 29. The site was renamed by Lord Strathcona. Strathcona. Thank you, Kelly. On November 25th of 1883, who renamed the site for his hometown of Banff, Scotland, although other resources we have found state that it was not Lord Stathercona. There you go. Thanks, Kelly. But George Stephen, the president of the Canadian National Railway that gave the town its name. The new townside crew rapidly reaching a population of 300 within those next 12 months. However, the suburban development of the area was controversial with the Canadian public due to the delicate balance of the local ecosystem. So the continued development of the area was left to the jurisdiction of the federal government, tourism, and the railway itself within a few decades, both the Banff Hot Springs Reserve and the Rocky Mountains Park were founded and the later would receive a massive expansion due to what Canadian Encyclopedia states as the most significant 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 event in the town's history. Thanks, Kelly. It's hard without my glasses. Well, what happened to those? One of these days I'll clean them and put them on. <laughs> anyway, the building of the Fairmont Vamp Springs Hotel, which would be renamed 1930s, the Banff National Park. Banff would quickly establish itself as a major cultural center of the West, 
giving us such famous residents as explorer Mary Schaefer, artist Walter J. Phillips, poet Earl Burney, artist Carl Rungus, and the Honorable Dr. Robert J. Brett, the Lieutenant Governor from 1915 to 1925, BAMP still holds itself as a cultural center, being designated as UNESCO, World Heritage, Heritage Site, and the location of the Wyatt Museum of Canadian Rockies and the BAMP School of Fine Arts. The town boasts a population estimated in 2019 to be around 8,000 residents and a popular tourist attraction for peoples across the globe for skiing, snowmobiling, mountain climbing, and tons of other outdoor activities for the outdoorsy type. Like Darcy said, the construction of the Banff Springs Hotel began in 1887, having been commissioned by the general manager of the Canadian Pacific Railway. And this guy has the most pompous fucking name I've ever heard in my life. He's William Cornelius Van Horn. Oh, yes, Mr. Baruta, can you go fetch me my engine? <laughs> anyway, he's the guy who saw potential in increasing tourism to the Canadian West. So good for him. He decided to accomplish this by building a chain of luxurious hotels all along the rail lines in the Rocky and Selkirk Mountains. Only a year later, in 1888, the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel opened its doors to the public and was something of an overnight sensation as far as luxury hotels go. It very quickly became one of the top three mountainside resorts getaways in all of North America. Between the turn of the 20th century until 1920, there were several additions to, to the already sprawling hotel to keep its reputation and its long-withstanding status as one of the most desirable hotels in the Western world. And I bet that really pleased Von... Lord Von Van Pufferpants, or whatever the fuck his name was. I, I, I even forget now. Uh, during this era, the hotel checked in some of the most famous guests, including Hollywood actress Marilyn Monroe. You know, you may have heard of her. I know I have. Uh, queen Elizabeth II. Yeah, you know, the, the, the B-list celebrity. The fucking queen! And Helen Keller. Yes, that Helen Keller. However, despite its successes, the Banff Springs Hotel suffered a lot of setbacks throughout its history. On April 7th, 1926, a fire devastated the main structure of the hotel and it was subsequently shut down for a time until it was rebuilt in the image that we see today. So the, the photos that I showed you of the Banff Springs Hotel earlier, Darcy, mm -hmm. didn't look a thing like what we see today when it was first built. So fun fact. The Great Depression followed shortly after this and we saw some and saw a serious financial strain on the hotel. But it still survived one of the greatest financial downfalls of recent history, just in time for the Second World War, which added a whole new world of hurt onto the hotel. Because of travel restrictions and a shortage of staff, the hotel was forced to close its doors in 1942 and would not reopen them again until the end of the war in 1945. However, after almost two decades of rough years, the 50s would prove that the Castle of the Rockies was harder to kill than most hotels. After reopening, the management added several new amenities to reflect the new economics of the time and breathe new life into the hotel, reinstating it as one of the most desirable places to stay in the Canadian West. The hotel, up until this point, was only open during the spring and summer months. Was now opened in the 19 or was was opened in the 1970s as a year-round resort, offering tourists the wintertime activities that Darcy mentioned earlier. 
Two decades later, Tom Kissing would take, kind of sounds like Tom Kissass. I don't know how I missed that, that, that little pun. I should have wrote that into the script, but hey, it's part of the show now. Uh, Tom Kissing would take over as manager of the hotel, and the hotel would receive the distinction of becoming, the, uh, becoming a national historic site by the federal government. There's a lot of ground to cover on this topic because there's just so many hauntings in this one particular building. So as much as we would love to do a deep dive into all of these topics, we don't think you guys would really want to sit down for a Dan Carling length podcast. So we've narrowed it down to some of the more famous and well-known hauntings to cover. Here starting with the ghosts of the hotel bar, because like any good Canadian, we love to drink, of course. And this seems like the best first stop of on the journey. It'll be a short stay though, as there isn't a lot of information on these en- entities. But what we do know is at the bar, some patrons have claimed to have been served by sharply dressed man when they have sufficiently drank enough as asked them to go back to their rooms and do get some sleep. When the patron protests, it said the bartender vanishes without a trace. Seems like a passive aggressive dad type to me. Then we have a headless piper who is exactly what it says on the tin. A headless man playing bagpipes? Yeah. Very, very bizarre stuff. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, can you imagine just a headless bagpiper just standing there? There's nowhere for the pipe to go into. It's just kind of hovering there. What the fuck? Well, I don't know about headless bagpiper, but if I saw some headless man standing in front of me, man, I'd be gone right now. Yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, you can't exactly interview the guy because he doesn't have a mouth, but if he doesn't have a mouth, how does he play the bagpipes? Maybe he just stuffs the pipe directly into his throat hole? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And I lost my script again. I'm having a lot of problems today, but I'm tired of stopping the podcast, so I'm just going to leave this part in. Okay, we're going to move on to the corpse bride now. One of the most famous spirits of the Bamp Springs is that of, well, she's got a lot of names. The Woeful Bride, the Ghost Bride, the Dead Bride, the Doomed Bride, the Corpse Bride. Don't sue us, Tim Burton. But for the sake of simplicity, we'll just call her the Bride. Don't sue us either, Quentin Tarantino. The spirit is so famous, in fact, that the Canadian Mint has actually commissioned both a collector's stamp and a coin bearing her image. The story goes that this woman lived in the 1920s and was set to be married at the hotel. The legend goes that as the bride descended down the magnificent grand staircase, she was sent to her death by means of tripping on her wedding dress, tumbling down the stairs and breaking her neck, or brushing up against one of the many candles that lined the stairs and bursting into flame. I just imagine someone from the Fantastic, the, the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four, only much more morbid and terrifying and traum- and traumatizing. Now, I contacted the Banff RCMP in regards to uh, looking into death records for that particular era, but they weren't exactly interested in helping us uncover the possible identity of the woman. Something about not perpetrating urban myths. Anyway. So that's a mystery that, unfortunately, we won't be able to solve in this particular podcast. But regardless of whether we can determine her identity or not, 
There's a lot of guests at the hotel who have reported seeing this full-bodied apparition either descending the grand staircase or dancing in the crescent ballroom. Some guests have reported both seeing the bride tumble down the stairs and completely engulfed in flames. But most consistently, they all report the, the bride's painfully sorrowful expression, which some believe is the spirit's way of showing her great disappointment of not being married to the love of her life before passing from this world. Or maybe she's just really upset because she got burned like a witch for no reason. Could very well be. It's like, burn the witch, burn her! <laughs> but of course it wasn't a witch, it was a bride. One of the strangest aspects of the hotel is the fact that all floors of the hotel have a 73rd room. For example, the third floor is 373, fourth floor is 473, and so on. However, the eighth floor of the Banff Springs Hotel seems to be missing a 73rd room. If believing what many in the area say, there is a paranormal reason for this. Staff at the hotel will deny that room 873 ever existed, but Rumor has it, in the 1980s, the room was shut down, up and drywalled over because of its dark and troubles past. Just note here, this story gets pretty heavy, so if you sensitive to violence, maybe skip ahead one minute. The legend goes that sometimes in the 1970s, a family of three checked into that room and were assigned to room 873 while staying at the hotel. The father, who had a long history of mental instability, brutally murdered his wife and daughter before taking his own life in the room. It is said that while bodies were removed and the blood-stained walls and carpets were replaced, the spirit of the tragic family remained and terrorized countless Patrons in the air splitting, screaming, bloody, and handprints appearing on the mirrors and walls. It said that times the blood would disappear all on its own. But on other occasions, it would take hotel cleaning staff hours and hours of scrubbing to get the room clean again. The hotel staff made the decision to brick the room up and drywall over to prevent any negative press about the hotel. The existence of room 873 continues to be a subject of debate. The hotel con continues to deny existence of the room, but numerous paranormal investigators from around the country have noted that the baseboards are cut where the room should be, and the hollow sound when the walls of neighboring rooms 871 to 875 are tapped upon, as it their unseen room the other side of those walls, as well as blood-filled spirits of young girl standing outside of the, where the room's door should be, looking scared and lost. Well... That was uplifting. 
The second and not-so-fictional room has suppo that supposedly harbors spirits is room 692. This room, unlike 873, is still in service today, and you can book it if you want on Banff Springs Hotel's website. But thank goodness we're here to tell you what you're in for if you do book it. Which, it, it just turns out that it's going to be a really rough night's sleep. While nobody knows who or what the entity is in this room, there has been numerous reports of pillows being yanked out from under your head while you're sleeping, as well as blankets being torn off and thrown to the floor in an either angry or indignant gesture. Then there are some who claim that they have been forcefully shoved right out of their beds by a pair of unseen hands. Finally, we have a resident ghost that we can for sure verify. Sam McCauley worked at the Banff Springs Hotel between the early 1960s until his death in 1975 and was beloved member of the Fairmont team. He was well-liked by everyone, staff and patrons alike. According to some, Sam was a believer in the paranormal so much so that he would vow to many that upon his death, he would come back and haunt his place of work. Well, it seems like that Mr. Macaulay wasn't lying. Sam is still around at the hotel, still doing his duty helping guests that for the most part ever even suspect that he has been dead for many years. One such account tells of two women who had locked their key in the room. They had called down to the front desk for a bellhop to come with him to spare one of the keys they could get back. Inside, sure enough, an older man with a thick Scottish rogue arrived and unlocked the door. Before wishing the ladies a good night, the helpful bellhop suddenly vanished and seconds bellhop, the one who had been sent by the front desk, arrived seconds later to see that these ladies suddenly didn't need his help anymore. When questioned about how they had gotten in, the woman described with uncanny accuracy the, the visage of Sam McCauley. Sam's spirit and also being seen wandering the ninth floor where his office once has the doors that seemingly open on their own in anticipation of a guest's passing through, he said, be opened by the hand of Sam who's still looking to provide guests with a comfortable and trouble-free stay. So now that we've seen a little bit from the Bam Springs Hotel, we're gonna look at another case from around the world. We're gonna look at another similar case, not from Canada, but from elsewhere in the world. And that's that of the Stanley Hotel. Uh, the similarities that we find here are actually pretty stunning. And I'll introduce you first to the hotel. You remember the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining? Yes. Of course you do. It's a classic. Who couldn't remember Jack Nicholson's, here's Johnny. Perfect pick for guy for that role. Oh, definitely. But uh, this hotel was what was what actually inspired the novel of the same name and the corresponding film. It was inspired actually from uh, Stephen King's own paranormal experiences there, although I do have to question whether or not it was an actual paranormal experience or whether or not Stephen King was just on a shitload of cocaine. But anyway, this hotel was built in 1909 
And uh, the Stanley Hotel was constructed by Freeland Oscar Stanley and has had a haunted reputation ever since. Not of the Indian burial ground variety, though. The, the reports are not that dissimilar, actually, from that of Banff Springs. The owner and his pianist wife, Flora, are reported to haunt the halls, along with a ghostly housekeeper named Elizabeth Wilson. It even has its own, its own special haunted room. You know which one I'm talking about. The famous room 217. There's, of course, no bloody handprints or ghostly screaming here, in fact. The people who stay in this room, they actually find their bags unpacked and their clothes neatly folded out, which actually I think is the first historical case of an American being more polite than a Canadian. It's pretty interesting. Now, one thing that's interesting to note here is that there's actually been some groundbreaking work done as far as paranormal investigations goes. Uh, Investigators Carl Pfeiffer, Connor Randall, and Michelle Tate, they've developed this method using a ghost box and a blindfold. They call it the Estes Method. Now, what they do is they have one of them, they sit in a chair with soundproofing headphones on that are plugged into the ghost box, and the other person acts as kind of an interviewer. They start asking questions, and the person sitting in the chair repeats words that they hear from the ghost box that stand out to them. And it's kind of... It's kind of like a double-blind test for the person that's r- repeating what the ghost box is saying, right? Right. It's also taking into effect that you're kind of reducing the chances of pareidolia when it comes to ghost box, because if you listen to a ghost box long enough, you're going to hear what you want to hear, right? Right. And uh, yeah, if they come across an answer is spoken by the guy listening to the ghost box, and it seems to be in accordance with the guy that is asking the question, that is seen as a legitimate communication. So now we're going to move on to what could this be? The building is exceptionally old and has likely seen its fair share of death and tragedy over the years, so the hauntings in it may actually be legitimate. But uh, given the accounts of other paranormal investigators, however, there is still the possibility that this this may be other things too, right? So... What I'm looking at here is, or what I'm thinking, is that this could be any number of things as far as, say, like, it could be a residual haunting as far as these spirits go, because the only ones that tend to interact with other people are the bartender and Sam McCauley? Macaulay. Macaulay Culkin? Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Sam McCauley and the bartender seem to be the only spirits that actually interact with people, so those would be classified as intelligent hauntings. But uh, the other two, they kind of seem, the other spirits that are involved, it kind of seems almost like it's residual because it, it seems like they're on a feedback loop, right? It's, it, it seems like they're, they're doing something and then the next night they do it again and right. do it again. But um, aside from paranormal explanations, I, I have a couple of things here. I have one that's, uh, that's marked maybe don't mention this one, but uh, we'll get to that. Uh, so the one thing that I'm looking at first of all here is uh, is public hysteria. We could see basically this is when an, when an urban legend comes to life. Right. If you if you're told something exists over and over and over again, you're more likely to see it. Again because of you know pareidolia and the way that the human mind works, we're trained to see patterns and if we're told a pattern is there, we will see that pattern. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one. It's not saying that people are crazy. It's just how our minds are wired as far as 
you know, if we're told something, right? Right. And the next thing that, well, it kind of bleeds into this next one here. I kind of explain, I had to kind of just explain it because I have written down uh, regional folklore run amok. Again, it's pretty much the same thing as what I just said. So I don't know why I wrote it down twice because I'm a professional and I know how to write. <laughs> Um, this one is the one that I have marked as maybe don't mention this one because we've been trying to get a hold of the Banff Springs Hotel and get a hold of some of these people to talk to them. They, they, they don't seem to be returning our calls. So, uh, you know what? I'm just going to say it. This could just be a publicity stunt. Very well. Yeah. Because I mean, Darcy, you remember, we're not going to name names, but, uh, you remember this one place that we went to, right? Yes. Yeah. The guys that, uh, were there. And it was really tragic because a man actually died outside of that establishment less than a week before they called us in. Yes. And when you arrived, Darcy, why don't you tell him what happened? Because I wasn't actually there. So what happened there was uh, they let me in. I did my stuff, showed them, told them what I do. And as soon as I asked them to take me to, to for a rundown of the hot spots, um... As I was walking downstairs in the basement with two of the guys, two of the owners, the alarms decided to go off mysteriously. Oh, yeah, I'm sure real mysteriously. Real mysteriously. And what they had told me was these alarms don't go off all the time like that. They never do. What they had told me was they went off just as I was in there investigating the place. How convenient. Exactly. So I'm going through, I'm going through, and I was convinced for a minute there until I put two and two together. Um, speed up the story a little bit. As soon as I got to the second floor, I noticed there was a guy working on the alarms <laughs> out in one of the rooms under the corner. Of my, and I asked him what, what, what this guy doing with the alarms. He says, oh, he's, he's installing them or he's fixing them. Right. So that kind of put up a red light for me that, you know, because Kelly, you're, you're looking for explanations. That's what you do in this. You, you're looking for stuff that's yeah, to bait. debunk these things. Yeah. And I was able to debunk that one just by... Yeah, based on what you saw there, you could see that these guys were deliberately trying to make a show. Yeah. Basically trying to to make, trying to convince you through hoaxing paranormal activity. And this is what I'm talking about here when I say that this could be a publicity stunt because we do see people yeah. who do this. And we're not saying they did do this, but this is what... what, what yeah, we're just saying that it's a possibility. A possibility, yeah. Because we have seen this before in our line of work. Yes. And... Unfortunately, it does happen, and the reason that it happens is that people like ghost stories. And if you can bring if you can bring more business in with a ghost story, then all you got to do is just make a story, and boom, you got yourself more business. Exactly, it's yeah. a money making venture, and it's literally the perfect money making venture because all you have to do is create is create a narrative, put it out there. And the money starts coming in. You don't have to put any money into it. And sometimes as ghost hunters, when they call us in for this type of thing, like this is a little rundown. That I was, it was, t I waited till two thirty a.m. in the morning, and I, I went there thinking that this was a real case, trying to help people out. But I went there at two a.m. So needless to say, I was, I felt a little bit upset inside because at two a.m. You know, most people are sleeping and. Uh, if I had known that this was what I think was not a legit thing, I was a little bit upset, yes. Yeah, no, because, you know, aside from us being paranormal investigators, we're also dads. 
Yeah. We also have careers. We have things. We got shit we got to do. Jobs, just like everybody else. Jobs. And if you're going to set up a hoax for us to come look at, it's it's just, it's such a waste of our time. But I think we're getting off on a tangent here. Um, yeah. Getting back to the Bamp Springs Hotel. Uh, yeah, we, we we're saying that it could be a publicity stunt, but I mean, we're not entire we're not sold on that we're just trying to put forward an explanation but anyway we're going to be moving on now to my question of the week darcy would you stay in the bamp springs hotel why or why not uh for sure i would um basically because it's it's right it's what we do is uh, i love paranormal investigating anything to do with the paranormal i would love to stay there just to experience it for myself not only for the paranormal but for um it's many beauty and how nice it is in there. I'm going to have to agree. I would definitely do the same. Aside from the picturesque mountainscape that is around it, the numerous things that you can do there, the fact that there's going to be there something there that we can actively look into and actively investigate and try to break new ground, I think would be an incredible opportunity. I would definitely stay there without a question. For sure. Um, so we're going to start wrapping things up here. One thing that uh, we're, we're going to start doing some housekeeping at the end of each show. And one thing that we would like to uh, invite people to do is start sending us an email, start sending us emails with your personal stories in them. Our email is spiritinstitutegp at gmail.com. And uh, you can also leave us a voice message on our anchor site. And once again, if you want, you can check us out on Facebook. It's SpiritGP or Facebook.com slash SpiritGP. I know our e- I, I know our internet address. <laughs> I'm an idiot. So uh, yeah, that's the that's pretty much it that we have for this episode. Um, I would like you guys to tune in next time for our episode on the Shag Harbor UFO crash. And until next time, I've been Kelly. And I've been Darcy. And this has been Canadian, Canadian Spirit. Spirit. That's all for this episode. Special thanks to Torin for our music. Zach Black, that's me, for voice work. All of our sources we used for this episode. And you, our listeners. For more information on the Supernatural Paranormal Investigations and Research Institute, visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash spiritgp. We'll see you in two weeks.